Well, hello again. Thank you, team. Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. That was beautiful. Apologies. I am going to preach from my laptop this morning. That's a little unprofessional. Um, but uh, is all I had available this week. We're house-sitting for some friends in Bronte, which is a beautiful part of the world, as you'd know. And um, totally agree, said the locals. <laughs> Well, uh, it's lovely to be with you and lovely to meet um, you for the first time this morning. Um, Thank you, Paul, for your generous invitation. And it's just great to be together on a Sunday morning. Um, Great to be worshipping God. Great to be coming around the Word. And uh, also great to be in a community of faith like this. And so, um, again, I just wanted to say, Paul, I think you said it earlier. You thanked everybody for their support, but I'd like to, on behalf of Tear Fund, uh, just say thank you so much to the church in the marketplace for uh, many, many years of support through the UG Shop, uh, the Useful Gifts campaign at Christmas, uh, and then also just the, uh, the regular support, regular donations that, that many individuals here um, over many years of, um, have offered support to Tear Fund and the work that we do through partnership, as I expressed, and so thank you so much. And uh, I'd be amiss today to not uh, really, uh, on behalf of Tear Fund, uh, say that. And so um, thank you, Church in the Marketplace. Uh, it's an honor to be able to uh, share for a few moments this morning a message. And I, uh, I hope it's an encouragement to your faith and, uh, and your walk with God. Um, the title of the message this morning, uh, the title that I've given it uh, really comes from a phrase that, that Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul, uh, used and, and the title, if you take notes online uh, or in the room, um, the title is this, Living Epistles. I'd like to preach a message this morning or uh, speak an encouragement to us around this idea that Paul uh, submitted to the church of Corinth many, many years ago, this idea of living epistles, that you and I would be living epistles to our community and to our world. Uh, Could I pray for the message this morning? Could I pray for what we're about to receive as we open God's Word? Lord, I thank you so much uh, this day, this Sunday, for the opportunity to again come back to your Word, to open it, to open our hearts to it, and to consider what you might be encouraging us with, teaching us, uh, bringing insight to our lives and our walk, our faith, and are following after Jesus this Sunday. God, we thank you that your word is inspired, there is an authority in it, and that ultimately it reveals our Savior, the person of Jesus. And God, I pray this morning we would be encouraged again, and that we would see our role, our part in this grand story that you are writing with our lives and Christians from the beginning of time. In your mighty name, I pray all of these things. And we said together, Amen. Amen. Living epistles. Living epistles. uh, Is this phrase that that Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, submitted or gave, encouraged uh, the Corinth church with uh, many, many years ago, thousands of years ago. Uh, We have in our New Testament, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and, uh, and it describes this community of believers that I think is a great reference for a church Uh, In the modern day, a church in the metropolis of a city like Sydney, Corinth has so many parallels to to you and I and what we experience in our modern day setting here in 
in Sydney. You see, the, the, the place of Corinth in ancient times was a port city, which meant that there were people coming and going constantly. Uh, it was a city that was, was familiar or built upon uh, this transient population, people coming and going, uh, a different crowd every week, different ideas, different ways of life. It really was a melting pot of culture, a melting pot of um, ideas about who God is, ideas about life, ideas about the way that we should live. And so there's much that parallels with the city of Sydney, the fact that we're built on a harbour, that people come and go, uh, that there's a transient population at the best of times, that there's many different ideas about God and ways of life that are existent in the city uh, that you and I live. There's a, a parallel to the Corinthian community and into that community, into the church that was in the midst of that community, uh, that atmosphere, that environment of Corinth, Paul seeded this idea, uh, this idea that was to influence and inform the church of their identity. We just sung a song about uh, who you say I am, God, and, and Paul was, was, was committed, was... Um, was, was focused, was drawn to uh, speak about the Corinthian church's identity and, and to that as a way of influencing or encouraging who they were to be in the midst of that environment. Paul speaks these words or uses this phrase, you're living epistles, living epistles. In his letter to them, Paul describes the Corinthian community as living epistles. And that phrase has been interpreted from, from these passages, which will come up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 2 to 3 says this, church. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. This is Paul writing, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, uh, but on tablets of human hearts. Living epistles, living letters is how Paul described or encouraged the community of believers, the followers of Jesus, that we're living amidst this diverse and this conflicted city of Corinth thousands of years ago. I think it's appropriate. I think it's helpful for us also to come back to this idea of living epistles, living letters this morning. Uh, this title represents... The paradox of our journey as well, as followers of Christ, that we are invited to know the story, but we're also invited to live the story, which is also true of the Bible, that we are to read it, but the Bible also reads us. Have you ever heard that phrase or, or that line about the Bible that I open it and I read the Bible, but there's this thing about the Bible that when I read it, it reads me? <laughs> It speaks to the deep issues of my heart and my life and my mind, the things that I'm struggling with. There's this, this thing about the Bible that it's, it's somewhat of a mirror, that I, as I open it and read of stories thousands of years ago or the Corinthian church, it mirrors back to me things that I'm facing and trying to figure out questions that I too am asking. And so there is this paradox that is present, this mystery that as we read it, it also reads us and Paul seems to be emphasizing the invitation that we all have before us to learn and study and know the story with our head, 
but then to live it, feel it, and experience the story in us and through us. Is this okay this morning? Is this making sense? Living letters, living epistles. And so I want to ask the question this morning. Really, this is the crux of the message. Uh, For us to consider this day here in the room and also online if you're listening, the question for all of us would be this. What story is shaping your life? What is the story that is shaping your life and your responses, that is shaping your walk, that is shaping the things that you believe? What story is shaping your life? Scarface and B-Boy. That's a phrase that my family is very fond of. And uh, it might not mean much to you this morning, but if you say that to my three sisters or my wife, if you say that to uh, my grandma, Scarface and B-Boy, um, we just, we erupt in, in laughter instantly. You don't need to say anything else. It's just that phrase, and my family will, will laugh and cry, and they're reminded of a very fond moment, uh, a time in our life or my life that, uh, that they love to poke fun at, and uh, they love to, uh, I guess, humiliate me for uh, decisions I made as a, a young boy. And so Scarface and B-Boy uh, reminds my family of a time that I threw a rock at a beehive, um, I was a teenager, and the bee stung me on the face, and I'm allergic to bees, and so that adds to the story. Why would somebody allergic throw a rock at a beehive? And stung me right here, and my face blew up, and for about three days, I had this huge uh, reaction to, to the bee. Unbeknownst to me, my grandmother at the time had had surgery on her face, and, uh, and then she shows up the next morning. I have this swollen, allergic bee sting on my face, and my grandmother shows up, and she has this scar down the middle of her face, and, uh, and my family just uh, thought this was the funniest moment ever, that we have B-Boy over here, and we have Scarface over here, and they put us together and took a photo, and they've never let us forget it. Scarface and B-Boy. So you say that to my family, and they're flooded with these emotions and these memories and these associations of this story, this moment in our, our family journey, our family story, my upbringing, uh, that we're very fond of, and that says a lot about me and my grandmother and my family. In ancient times, if you said phrases like Noah's Ark, if you just threw that out there into ancient circles or into Israel, sitting around a dinner table, and you said Noah's Ark, or you just said burning bush, if you said Passover, if you said Mount Sinai, if you said Jesse's son, the people would be flooded their minds, their emotions, flooded with these memories, stories would come to mind of deliverance, of promise and miracle, stories of identity and calling uh, would be vividly depicted with great enthusiasm and passion as if it was their own life story. There was this rich oral tradition in ancient times that Israel, as they journeyed through life, that they told stories that reminded them of who they were and whose they were. All you would need to say are these little phrases and these stories that were loaded with meaning would be shared and told, remembered with great enthusiasm and passion. These stories loaded with generational meaning. Psalm 145 is a David psalm. And uh, speaks of this tradition, this, this storytelling that, that Israel, this community of faith, like us, uh, that they found 
so critical to their walk with God. Psalm 145 says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Hear this, church. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Eugene Peterson writes in his version of the Bible, the message translation of these passages of Scripture, and says, Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. What a description of this this tradition of storytelling that within each person within each generation was stories that were so important to faith to humans understanding God to humans understanding an appropriate response of worship and devotion and connection and how we are to be in the world that we live Uh, this passage gives us an insight into the importance of the story that we are allowing to shape us, but also the story that we are telling with our lives. This was a hymn, Psalm 145, crafted by David. It speaks of the Hebrew culture and their tradition of storytelling. Not fictitious or fairy tales, but their own stories of old that have been passed down from generation to generation. Stories that undoubtedly made them laugh and cry and feel and remember who they were, whose they were, and that the present moment was on, put, on purpose. That the present moment was on purpose and a part of what they believed was a grand narrative for their lives. One Bible commentator says of uh, Israel's storytelling that they needed their story for survival. When Israel remembered the stories that told them who they were, where they'd come from and who their God was, they prospered. When they quit telling the stories, they no longer understood who they were, and they invited disaster. And this commentator says, and the same is true with us. See, the Bible is one big, cohesive narrative. It starts somewhere, progresses and builds, reveals a hero, and dare I say, is continuing even as we sit here this morning. There are two ways we can read the Bible, though. There's probably many, but I'll suggest two ways that that we typically read the Bible. Both are useful. It's just that one is often neglected. The first and and most common way to read the Bible or to read the story is um, to read it like a large redwood tree. My wife's from California, and we've spent time uh, in the redwoods, and there are these huge trees that that are ginormous, the biggest things you've ever seen. You can't even see the top of the trees when you're looking up, and, and they just seem like they go forever. And these redwood trees, just imagine, um, and we wouldn't do this. This is probably a really um, not a great example for somebody from Tear Fund to be, uh, to be sharing, but imagine you cut the tree. Imagine the tree needed to be cut, and you cut it horizontally, and you pull out a piece Uh, from the tree. You've cut it horizontally, you pull the piece out, and you start to examine the tree. Examine, you, and you analyze the slice. 
Uh, It's helpful when you cut it horizontally. You can understand very important things about the tree, as we know, as science tells us. Um, And we also do this with the Bible, this kind of cutting it horizontally. Uh, We slice a chunk out of the Bible and, uh, and we pull it and we examine it and investigate just this, this slice from the Bible. And that can be helpful, uh, helpful and, and can identify or, or give us an appreciation for principles or moral lessons or an idea. When we just we take a slice from the Bible and we just cut a few pages and we just look at that and that alone. But there's a second way to cut a tree and also to, to cut the Bible. And that's to cut it vertically. Now, this is a little bit unorthodox. Imagine cutting a redwood vertically. That'd be really difficult, but maybe possible. And, and imagine cutting it from grain to tree chop, from, from, from its roots all the way to, to its canopy, cutting the tree uh, vertically. Thus, what you begin to see is this, this single organism uh, connected from, from root to canopy. This single story that is all connected. Uh, what you begin to see when you cut a tree like that and also when you cut the Bible like that, from, from its roots to its treetop, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, from the beginning of time until this present moment, what you begin to see is that there's one plot line, that there's a unity, a cohesion, and a progression that is taking place as we consider the story that we're a part of. The threat is that if we only read the Bible for its principles and morals, things can easily become about what I must do and the behavior that's required. All the while missing grace, the thread that is through the entire story. All the while missing the person the whole story builds to and builds from. The same is true with the way that we read our lives or consider our lives. That often we can fall into uh, this trap of allowing one moment, one season, one chapter, one day, and something that's happened, a challenge, a complexity that I'm facing, allowing that one thing to define the whole narrative rather than a piece that is made sense of within the context of the grand story. Is this okay? Does that make sense? What I'm trying to suggest this morning is that there is this story that is is much larger than our lives. Paul just prayed about the cosmos that God has created and that God's presence is within. And there is this this largeness, there is this grandness to uh, the God that we are connecting with, our God that we are serving and that we have opened our hearts to. And the tendency would be to limit our experience to a moment or a day and not see it within the context that is much broader, much grander, much more beautiful And when we place it within that context, it gives a different meaning to the life that we are living. We're living epistles called to be living letters to the world around us. Continuing this story that has been passed down from generation to generation and sharing it with those that we connect with. One way that I can example this um, is imagine you're out of the bus stop. And bear with me, come, come with me with this example. Imagine you're at the bus stop after church this morning, and uh, you're out there waiting, and a young man standing next to you, all of a sudden, just bursts out and says, 
The Mariana Trench is the deepest part of the ocean, measuring a staggering 10,898 meters, more than 2,000 more than the height of Everest. Just imagine that happens this morning uh, when you're out there. Somebody just bursts out this, this random but like staggering fact about the Mariana Trench. Um, you should look it up on your phones after church or on, on the internet. The Mariana Trench is, is mind-blowing. Um, one understands the meaning of this sentence, right? That, that, oh, that could be factual, but why on earth is, is he saying it in the first place? Uh, that, that's the preceding question that comes to mind is, okay, great, but it, it kind of seems a bit random, and, and why are you saying that? This particular action can only be understood if it is placed within a broader framework of meaning, a story that renders the saying comprehensible. Three stories uh, I'll suggest to you this morning, church that could help us understand uh, this incident and uh, help us find the meaning within it. The young man, firstly, has mistaken the person, me, standing next to him at the bus stop for another he saw yesterday in the library who asked, do you know by chance how deep the deepest part of the ocean is? So that's maybe, firstly, uh, a possible uh, meaning of the story. The second is this. Maybe they've just come from a session with his therapist who's helping him deal with a painful shyness. The therapist says, or urges him to talk to strangers. So the young man asks, what shall I say? The therapist says, oh, anything at all. That's possibly the second uh, meaning of that encounter at the bus stop this afternoon. Or third, uh, the third potential meaning of this encounter is that he is a spy who has arranged to meet his contact at the bus stop. The code that will reveal his identity is the statement about the numerical figure of the Mariana Trench. It's a choose-your-own-adventure. You decide this morning which story fits the meaning. But uh, the moral of, of all of this is that the meaning of the encounter at the bus stop, it depends on which story shapes it. The meaning of the encounter at the bus stop depends on which story shapes it. In fact, each story will give the event a very different meaning which I believe is what Romans 12 verse 2 is emphasizing. You may be familiar with these passages of Scripture, but uh, the writer of Romans uh, is encouraging uh, people like us, the, the church, community of believers, those following after Jesus, and he says something quite interesting. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Another way that we can understand the, that word pattern is to insert the word story. Do not conform to the story of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the story in your mind. Uh, there's something so important about the story that we allow or the story that we believe is shaping our life. We must therefore ask, what story is it that I am allowing or, or letting influence shape my mind and my heart and my life? What is the story that is shaping my life? What is the story that is shaping your life? The meaning of this encounter today, the meaning of the season that you're walking through, the meaning of 2023 depends entirely upon the story that you allow to shape your life. Depends entirely upon the story that I allow to shape my life. 
Is it a story that I'm not proud of? Is it a story that I wouldn't dare tell others? Is it a story that I've been wounded by? Is it a story that I wish I could rewrite? Is it a story I'm still trying to be the hero of? Is it a story in which I know I'm just pretending? These are some honest reflections about the stories that we can allow to shape our lives. What if there's more to it? What if there's more to the story, your story? More to the person that sits in that chair this morning, this Sunday morning? What if there's more than you're giving room credit perspective for? How does this moment fit within my story of salvation, healing, and transformation? I want to offer you that lens to look at your life through this morning. How does this moment, this season, this challenge, this difficulty, how does this Sunday fit within your story of salvation, healing, and transformation? If I can see through that lens, how does it influence my life, the present moment, the way I wake up in the morning, the way I respond to the world around me? Such is true of the work that we do at Tear Fund. How does humanity in poverty look through the lens of salvation, healing, and transformation? Really, that's the invitation that we are offered through Christ, is to look at the world around us through a different lens, a lens of love and grace and human dignity, a lens of healing and salvation and transformation, uh, that the world around us that with God, through God, that much is possible. This morning, church, I want to encourage you again that there is a grand story being written with your life. That the Bible, uh, the, the book, the good book, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, that it is our story. It is the truth and revelation of our identity. Our brokenness, but also our healing. It is revelation of our Savior Jesus and his transformative power in our lives. We're living in the continuation of what God said he would do, what he promised on mission and with God-given purpose. Let's have a deep conviction about the God story that is being written with our lives and with this community. Let's learn from the Israelites and the ancient tradition and be better at telling our stories of faith, our stories of endurance, our stories of courage, our stories of redemption, deliverance, provision, who we are because of God. Is that okay? Be encouraged this morning that there is a beautiful story being written with your life that is interconnected with this community and the world around us. And our invitation through Christ is to see our lives and also the world around us through a lens of salvation, healing, and transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anandit, can I invite you to come and pray? Thank you. Shall we bow our heads and... Pray for a moment.
I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come into your presence and spend time here as a community worshiping you, having fellowship with you and with one another. Thank you for being our rod and our security in this day and age of chaos and confusion in the world. We ask you to calm our hearts and our minds as we place before you our inmost needs and cares. Help us to remember that you have already provided for each one of us and each one of those needs and cares. We, we remember today especially the people who are unwell and need your presence and love as they go through various physical, mental, or emotional challenges. We thank you that you will be their strength and support that guides them to th through their individual valleys of the shadow of death. We pray for our world. We see so many things around us and across the world that we do not understand. So much death, suffering, violence, the war in Ukraine, natural disasters, religious, political, racial strife in so many places. We know that you made us in your image to be your children, to have a relationship with you. We ask you to heal our world, Lord, and its people. Be the still calm voice of love, peace, and respect that can transcend all differences. Be the level of change in each individual's heart so that each of us in our beautiful world can be instruments of your love. There is so much that we do not understand. Remind us of your love for us and your perfect plan in each of our lives that we, each of us, may be living epistles for you. We remember our leaders and decision makers all over the world. You guide them. Give them wisdom and understanding that they may be guided to think of the greater needs of every individual rather than looking at personal gain. Dear Father, we pray especially for our church. It holds such a precious, unique, and important place in this community. We thank you for the opportunity to be part of your plan for the community at Bondi. Help us to reflect you and be a church of transformation, love, and joy to the marketplace of Bondi. We pray for each and every one of your children here today. Speak to each of us the words that we need to hear. Fill our hearts with the peace and encouragement as we go into the week ahead of us. Help us to be little lights shining for you in all that we do and with each person we meet in this week. Let us take a moment of silence now to commit our personal needs and cares.
Be with us here today, Father, and help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind rather than conforming to the pattern of the world around us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.